I don't know about you, but I have been told that I have this amazing ability to take simple things and make them extremely complicated. Any other guys in the house have that same gifting? Like some of you have had things that you had to build leading up to Christmas, and there's instructions in the package. But that's just an insult to my intelligence. I don't need your instructions. And five hours later, having to fall into a time of repentance, asking God to please forgive me for the things that I have said. Isn't that the truth? We as people just have this natural ability to take simple things and complicate them. When I look back on the story of Christmas, I think that we have taken such a simple story, but yet made it so complex and complicated for people to understand. When we look back on the life of the church, I think we have made the church so complicated that it has lost its simplicity. Because we so easily take simple things and make them complicated. Just look at the nativity scenes, for instance. You go in these stores and you find nativity scenes and uh, you have a wide variety. I've seen cartoon characters visiting baby Jesus in the manger. I've seen hipsters on their cell phones in the manger. But then I've seen some other things like, um, I don't know, snow falling all over the manger scene. The last time I checked, it snows in Bethlehem maybe once to three times a year, and it's not a whole lot. It doesn't even stick. But it is an avalanche of snow in some of our nativities. You have wise men there with the shepherds. They didn't come to a couple of years later. That's all messed up. They didn't even make it. We, we have these shepherds who, when we talk about it, it sounds as if the shepherds walked miles and miles and miles and miles and miles to get to this nativity. But the truth is, when I walked from the shepherd's field to the nativity, it only took me about five minutes to get there. But we have taken these things and we have made them so complex. I mean, nativity scenes with nice wooden stables, which, shocker, would not be correct either. Jesus is born in a cave that was used to hold animals, not because all the inns were booked because all the people were there. It was booked because this woman, Mary, teenager, not married yet, expecting a baby, would go back into Bethlehem Joseph's family and their own families would tell them, you're not welcome here because you're pregnant and not married. And the last place they could find would be with the animals in the caves. The complexities, but yet the simpleness of Jesus. See, the story of Jesus doesn't need to be commercialized. It doesn't need to be hyped up. His story and his birth stand alone. He doesn't need that. We, we get so caught up in trying to make a name for ourselves and on our platforms that we forget that we serve a God who has the name above every name. Why do we need to try to make a name for ourselves? Because he is the king. It's simple. Christmas speaks to every one of us in this room tonight. There's something in the story for every one of us because it was because of you and me that Christmas happens. That Jesus has come because the deepest needs of a human heart need to be fixed. 
And God's heart was broken when he looked down on creation and saw that it had gone so far away from him that he sends his son. We're going to take just for the next few moments, we're going to strip down this complicated Christmas and just make it extremely simple and get it back to simple. See, the Christmas story brings us back to this humble man, Joseph. It brings us back to this humble woman, Mary, and this miraculous gift that was lying in the manger on that night, Jesus. And if we look in this snapshot with those three, everything that we need for the human heart condition is sitting right there in the manger. So we got to strip down the non-essentials and get back to what's important. Here's the first very essential that when you look in that manger, this is what we see. We see love. We see love. Every single one of us in this room need it. And not just any love. What we need is an unconditional love. There's a big difference. You know, in our society, we define love in multiple ways. But the scripture says that God is love. And when the way God loves us is this unconditional love that it it defines us. It defines our worth. And it defines our worth apart from what we do. It, it defines it apart from what we've accomplished, what we've owned. The rat race of life is about what we have done and, and who we are and the accomplishments that we have. And we're constantly trying to upgrade our accomplishments and who we know. But the question that we still have is, what am I worth? And in this picture of the Christmas story, we find the answer. Do you guys remember growing up as kids, adults? On Christmas Eve night, you would glue yourself to the news because you wanted to watch the Santa tracker. Where's Santa at? And you'd see him like in New England up there flying around. You're like, okay, he's getting close. And then he crosses the, the state line and he's coming into your state. And it's like, I've really, I've got to go to bed right now. Like, cause he's going to be here and you got to beat Santa because you, you don't want to hear the, the reindeer on the roofs. And you get so excited because when you would hear it, you knew that it was about to go down. Like the gifts were about to be delivered. Anybody, you still, still feel, some of you have, uh, kids these days don't understand. We actually had to watch the news. Today we have apps for that, right? You just watch it on the Santa tracker app. And we would track Santa and we would track Rudolph and we knew that it was, it was about to happen. But how powerful is it to think the night that we're not celebrating flying animals on a radar, but we're celebrating the reality that you and I were on heaven's radar. That God was looking for us. God was waiting for us. And the reality is that we're on his radar. God not only sees you, he loves you. Not because of what you have, and not because of your accomplishments, and not because anything else outside of the fact that God loves you because he created you. He's loved you from the moment that you came to life in your mother's womb. From the very moment he loved you. And there's a scripture in the New Testament that summarizes this love. And it's in this powerful way. So love gets defined, again, in so many ways today. And it's for many, it's just an idea. It's just this warm feeling that I have. But in this text, what we're going to see is love is defined in this powerful way. Look what, look what the author John says. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, the solution to all the tensions on earth, to all the tensions that we see 
throughout life are not found in men. But they're found in men and women who have been found by God. Those that carry the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus. God is the one that speaks peace into mankind and He gives us the favor. And the text continues. It says, And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. See, it doesn't mean that this God is just this warm feeling. God now defines His love and He tells us what it's all about. And this is how He showed His love among us. When we get down to the next verse, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In other words, if you want to know what love is, just look in the manger. If you want to know what love is, then you can see a God who is willing to enter into human flesh and become God incarnate. This is the God that loves us because He created us. Here's the second essential that we find. Not only is it love, but there's also grace lying in the manger. Something we all need, right? A lot of us won't admit it, but we all need grace. If you don't feel a need for grace, then there's nothing to really celebrate at Christmas. But if you have one regret, if you have one stain, if you have one ounce of shame, one memory that still haunts you because of decisions that you made a long time ago, then you need grace. And it's only a grace that God can give to us. The grace is in the manger. See, that night the angel said, call his name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. Grace. When we didn't deserve it, God gives us grace. First John chapter 4 continues to say this, in this is love. Listen to this part. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. See, the story of love doesn't start with you and me. It starts with God. And the reason that this is good news, the gospel, is because we all know that we haven't exactly done enough to be in favor with God. There's nothing that we can do to act our way into a relationship with God. He's a perfect God because we know that we don't measure up with Him. The definition is God is amazing. It's not about what we did to impress Him or what we did to get His attention. But you read this verse and you go, that it's not that we love God, it's that God loved us. And you could just put a period right there and you could end the whole thing. That's the whole gospel. That's all we really need, right? We know that God loves us. But look what he says, because there, in this scripture, there's a conjunction. Even though he could have stopped and the Bible could have ended right there, they just went on and kept writing because there was more stuff. But here's a conjunction in this verse, and it's the word and. And this must mean that the story of God is beyond any kind of human comprehension. He says, this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and, and sent His Son. Sent His Son to pay the price for you and me that we had this debt that we had incurred. And God said, no, 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 no. I'm going to appease that debt. That debt will be paid. I will pay for it more than enough of what it needs to be paid for. That's the gospel. 
He said, this is, this is love. Not that we love God, but love is the fact that God loved us in spite of who we are, in spite of the mistakes that we made. Despite us on our worst day, God still loves us. Without love, our souls would just shrivel up and die and we'd be done. But without the removal of the stain of our sin, how can we make it through this life? How can we make it through life? God said, here's how much I loved you. I sent my son to be this atoning sacrifice of sin for you. What does that mean? That means that there's this baby that's born of a virgin who's innocent of sin, grows up to be a man, and willingly chose to lay his life down for you and me as a sacrifice so that we could be restored to God and have a relationship with him. He made the decision. The greatest exchange in human history was God giving his best so that you and I could come back to life again. Here's the last essential that you need to understand the Christmas story to strip it down and it's purpose. It's purpose. It's, now, it's not purpose that you would have a bigger, better job. It's not purpose that you'd have a bigger paycheck. That you'd be well known. We've been made for way more than bigger jobs, bigger promotions, bigger paychecks. We get caught up on the wrong things because we put our purpose in the things that leave us empty. But if we would just follow the things that God has called us to, we would find fulfillment every time. In the darkest of valleys, fulfillment because we're walking with God. In the highest mountaintops, fulfillment because we're walking with God. Our purpose exceeds more than anything of things that we would do on our own. We find purpose in this manger. We find purpose in a relationship with God. And by the shining the light of Jesus in the world, we find our purpose. But we got to get through the clutter of complicated Christmas. Because there's power in the simplified story. This is God coming down so that He can love us. This is God coming down so that we can know what love is, so we can know what grace is, so we can know what our purpose is and be born again in this family, this family of God. And all of that comes when Jesus appears and we bow our hearts down and we admit our sin. God gives us forgiveness that we can be God's right here and right now. All we have to do is confess our sin to Him. I love the scriptures when it says that if we'll just confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive. You don't have to worry about confessing and God going, but time out, I want to talk a little bit more about that one. I want to make you, I'm going to make you feel guilty about it. Hey, listen, God's not a God of guilt. We bought into that. That's the enemy. God is a God of life. There's conviction. God will convict. But his primary thing is restoring that relationship with you. He, he just wants us to understand that He's the primary thing. Everything else is secondary. Everything else in life is secondary. In the manger, we find love unconditionally. We find grace even when we don't need it or even we think we don't need it. Grace is there. When we find those, we find purpose. But we live out what God wants us to do. Hey, in just a moment, we're going to light, we're going to light these candles that you have. Um, but before we do that, I want to explain a little bit about why we're lighting candles. I know it's, it's like, well, isn't that a Christmas Eve tradition? 
yeah, it's kind of a Christmas Eve tradition, but there's, we want to put some meaning behind what we do. We don't want to just do things because they're tradition. Because we know that we serve this God who's a God of love and a God of grace and a God of purpose. We want to reflect that. Just this past Sunday in our church, we talked about Jesus' light, but Jesus physically is not here anymore, so he passed the light to us, and he told us that a city on a hill could not be hidden. And when we do the things that we do, we make this community brighter. When we follow Jesus and hear Jesus and do the things that, even when they make no sense, even when people question them, when we do what the Holy Spirit leads us to do, we create a brighter space for people. Jesus came as the light of the world. And I imagine that night as Mary held her son. And I know we sing the song, Mary, did you know? She did. She got a heads up that it was about to happen. But as she held that fresh baby that night, she looked into his eyes. I don't think she knew all the details of what was about to go down. Can you imagine your son never preaching a funeral as a pastor because he just raised people from the dead? Can you imagine your son forgiving your sin? I just always imagine when Jesus went, when they left him. Remember this? Like they all went the Passover in Jerusalem and seven days later they realized that he got left. Now you thought leaving your child in Target was one thing. Leave your child in Jerusalem when you're almost all the way back to Galilee. That's a little bit different. Like, Mary, you had one job, and that was to keep up with the Son of God, and you lost him. And Mary goes back and finds him. And some of you would have prayed and laid hands on your child. And Mary said, what are you doing? And Jesus said, woman, which, don't do that. He said, I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's business. Because Jesus, even at a young age, knew his purpose. Mary may not have known every detail, but Jesus knew. And there was a day where that precious baby boy that she held in her hand, 33 years later, she would hold the body, lifeless body of Jesus, her son, with the wound marks from the beatings and the torment, the scars, the blood and would clean his body and lay her baby boy in a tomb, thinking it was all over. But as we celebrate as a church, three days later, the Bible came true, that Jesus was light and darkness would not overcome it. And today he lives. And she sees her baby boy again resurrected in new form, as we will. See, that moment in time was so pivotal for us in the tomb. Years later, in the tomb of Jesus, the early church would mark the location of the resurrection of Jesus. And they would put a candle inside this tomb, and it would stay lit at all times. And if you walked into the empty tomb, this candle was going to be burning. And it was a way of saying the light is coming to the world and even the darkness could not overwhelm this light. And when evening time would come, one of the church leaders would go into the tomb with his candle. 
and he would light a candle from the one burning in the tomb. And he would come back outside and would light all the congregation's candles and they would worship. What an incredible worship service. Everybody holding the light from the tomb. And now the whole assembly has these candles from this empty tomb and they would begin to sing a hymn together. And this hymn dates back as far as 150 A.D. Decades from the resurrection of Jesus, the early church would sing it, and it's called the Foes Hilaron. And it means the light that is joyous and glad. And these are the words that they would have sang. Hail, gladdening light of His pure glory poured. Who is the immortal Father, heavenly blessed, holiest of holies, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, we are come to the sun's hour of rest. The lights of Eden and round us shine. We hymn the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit divine. Worthiest art thou at all times to be sung. With undefiled tongue, Son of our God, giver of life alone. Therefore, in all of the world, thy glories, Lord, thy own. We're going to illuminate these candles because Jesus is illuminated. Because we believe that we've been called to be light to our town, to our community. We have light because Jesus has overcome the darkness. He glowed into the depths of hell and his light could not be put out. This baby, born into a dark world, shined his light on it. And that light today still burns bright through us, his church. So would you stand with me with your candles as we light and we don't have a tomb, but we will pretend that we're lighting from the tomb. Father, we thank you for your light. We thank you for your death, burial, and your resurrection. God, that your son Jesus was a baby who was born to die for us, our sacrifice. And just pray tonight that these lights would represent you. That Christmas is about you. It's about you coming into this place to give us love and give us purpose and to give us grace. And we thank you for that. And God, now as we light and we sing, may you be honored and glorified in all that we do. Amen.